Good morning to my church family. Hebrews 12, <clears throat> 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endureth the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endures such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of God for the people of God. Well, today we are in the 10th and final week of the series that we've been calling So Great a Cloud of Witnesses. When we started this journey many, many weeks ago, I said in this series we're going to hear the stories of 10 people who lived and died in the 20th century. And we're going to learn that saints and martyrs didn't just live and die hundreds of years ago. There are saints and martyrs living and dying in the way of Jesus to this day in the world today. We've been learning what they have to teach us about following in the footsteps of Jesus. And through the last few weeks, this journey has taken us all around the world. We've gone to El Salvador, to China, to South Africa. We've gone to Poland, to Pakistan, to Papua New Guinea. And today, our journey is going to bring us home. Today, we're going to hear a familiar story. Today, we're going to hear a story of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., of all the stories that we planned on telling in this series, of all the sermons, this is the one that's made me the most nervous. Now, it's not because I'm nervous about talking about race or, or civil rights here at Court Street United Methodist Church on a Sunday morning. We've had those conversations before, and Court Street has proven over and over again that we are willing to wrestle with questions that might not be welcome in other congregations in other times of worship. I'm grateful for the way in which you do that. I'm not nervous about talking about issues of, of race or civil rights. The thing that made me nervous as I was trying to prepare a message for this morning is the fact that this story is already so familiar to us. Most of us, maybe all of us, know the story of Dr. King at the very least in, in broad strokes. Dr. King was a Baptist preacher a leader in the American civil rights movement. He traveled the country working to end the system of segregation called Jim Crow, the system that kept black Americans separate and unequal. He led protests. He led marches. He led boycotts. In 1963, from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, he gave a speech that became one of the high moments in all the civil rights movement. In the years after that, the civil rights movement started achieving real legislative victories. First came the Civil Rights Act, then came the Voting Rights Act, then came the Fair Housing Act. But of course, his visibility and his leadership made Dr. King a target. He was arrested many times. He was spied on and intimidated by the FBI. In 1968, he went to Memphis, Tennessee, 
He was going to Memphis in order to support a strike of the city's black sanitation workers. His flight into Memphis was delayed because of a bomb threat. On April 3rd, he preached a sermon. He compared himself to Moses. He said, Moses led God's people through the wilderness, but Moses did not get to set foot in the promised land. The closest that Moses got was a view of the promised land, a glimpse from the top of a mountain just before he died. I've been to the mountaintop, Dr. King said. I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I know that we as a people will get there together, and so I am happy, he said, and I am not afraid of any man. The next day, April 4th, as he was standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel, he was assassinated by an outspoken white supremacist. The people who were with Dr. King on that balcony in his final moments said his last words were about a hymn. The last thing he did was to request one of the musicians would play at an event scheduled for later that evening, the hymn, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. We know this story. Right? We've heard this story before, even if often we tell it in a self-serving way that, that steers away from Dr. King's criticism of poverty and capitalism and war. Still, we know at least the broad strokes of this story. And for the last several weeks, I have been racking my brain and keeping myself up at night trying to figure out how are we going to tell this story in a way that, that feels fresh? How are we going to tell this story in a way that speaks to people? How are we going to tell this story in a way that isn't just rehabilitating what we've heard a thousand times before. And so I started reading up on Dr. King. I started reading stories of Dr. King, looking for a story that hadn't been told a thousand times before. And as I was reading stories of Dr. King's life and his ministry, I found this story about Dr. King and his friend Mahalia Jackson. Now, to the younger members of our church family, the name Mahalia Jackson may not be a familiar name, but, but in her time, she was a megastar. In her time, Mahalia Jackson was, was as famous as someone like Beyonce would be today. Mahalia Jackson grew up singing gospel hymns in a Baptist church. And every Sunday morning as she made her way to the Baptist church, she would pass by a Pentecostal church and she could hear these, these loud and joyful sorts of noises coming from the Pentecostal church. Mahalia was curious about the sounds coming from the Pentecostal church, but back in those days, Baptists and Pentecostals didn't get along very well. Mahalia was raised by her aunt, and her aunt absolutely prohibited her from setting foot in that Pentecostal church. Even so, she couldn't help herself. Mahalia would sneak off, and she would eavesdrop on the Pentecostal worship with her ear to the, the window of the church. And when she started recording gospel music at the age of 14, Mahalia started working in some of the sounds that she had heard at that Pentecostal church. And she worked in some of the sounds that she had heard from blues musicians. And she worked in some of the sounds that she had heard from folk musicians. She took gospel music and she turned it into a, a new thing. She turned it into a thing that was all her, all her own. In, in the process, Mahalia Jackson invented gospel music as we know it today. And at first, it didn't seem like Mahalia was going to have much of a music career. She didn't sell many records, and her record label didn't promote her. They figured anybody who wanted to buy a gospel music record probably didn't have the money to buy a record in the first place. And they tried to talk her into changing directions. They tried to talk Mahalia into singing the blues. But she was convinced that God wanted her to sing the gospel. And so she kept on singing the gospel 
until people finally started to listen. Finally, disc jockeys started playing her records, and people responded to her records. And and suddenly, almost overnight, Mahalia Jackson went from obscure gospel singer to internationally famous gospel singer. Mahalia Jackson was at the height of her fame when she met Dr. King in 1956. That year, Mahalia Jackson went down to Montgomery, Alabama. She went down to raise funds and to sing and to give her support to the Montgomery bus boycott. And she and Dr. King spent time down there together. They came to be fast friends. They came to be partners in the civil rights movement. In the years that followed, they would appear together at events all around the country, and over and over it was the same, the same agenda. Mahalia would sing. And then she would hand off the microphone and Martin, Martin would speak. Mahalia would sing and Martin would speak. And then came the walk, march on, on Washington, D.C. In 1963, a quarter of a million people marched to the mall, the National Mall in Washington, D.C. They marched for civil rights. They marched for an end to segregation. One of the things that we, we sometimes forget when we tell the story of that day is that Dr. King was not the only speaker on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial that day. In fact, he was scheduled to be the last speaker on the agenda that day. More than a dozen other people got up to speak before Dr. King. And then there was a song. Mahalia Jackson was there too. She sang a song. Dr. King that day had requested a, a song called, I've Been Buked and I've Been Scorned. And so that's what she sang. And then just as she had so many times before, she stepped aside and she handed the microphone to her friend Martin. As he stepped to the podium that day, Dr. King was nervous. Now, he knew that this was the largest congregation he was ever likely to see. Not only were there a quarter of a million people gathered on the mall that day, but the, the, the speech was being broadcast on live television all across the nation. And for many days, Dr. King had been trying to figure out what he was going to say. He had been going back and forth between two different speeches. On the one hand, he had this sermon that he had been trying out in cities all around America, the sermon about a, a dream that he had for America. On the other hand, he had a speech that was more low-key. It was a speech that he thought might appeal to a broader audience. He went back and forth and back and forth, and finally he decided that he was going to give that low-key speech. He was going to try to appeal to as many people as possible. He stepped up to the podium and he began to speak, and it was clear that he wasn't really feeling it, and neither were the people in the crowd. The speech was overwritten, There were places where there were so many $10 words that the speech was almost incomprehensible. And then Dr. King came to a place where he looked down at his paper and he he saw that he had written the line, let us go back to our communities as members of the International Association for the Advancement of Creative Dissatisfaction. He realized that wasn't going to work. He realized that line was going to fall flat. And so he stumbled a little bit. And then he started to ad-lib. And sitting just a few feet away, his friend Mahalia, who had heard him speak so many times before, she sensed that Dr. King was in trouble. She sensed that he needed help. And so just then, just in that moment, she called out. She said, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream." And when he heard his friend's voice, when he heard her words, a sort of change came over Dr. King. He took all of his notes and he pushed them off to the side of the podium. And then he stood up straight, he held up his head, he looked out at all those people, and then he went off script. 
He started speaking from the heart. He started talking about his dream for the whole rest of that speech, for the part of the speech that we remember and teach in schools still to this day. He was speaking from his heart, speaking from his memory, speaking as the preacher he always had been. In that moment, he gave not only one of the most memorable speeches of the whole civil rights movement, he gave one of the most memorable sermons that any follower of Jesus has ever given. He gave a sermon that touched and somewhat softened the heart of a nation, and it may not have happened if not for his friend Mahalia. And this is the thing I hope you take away from today. In fact, this is one of the things I hope you take away from this whole series, this journey that we have taken together. We have heard 10 stories of 10 remarkable people who did exceptional things for Jesus. We have heard 10 stories of people who were so committed to the way of Jesus. Ten people who so deeply believed in the resurrection of Jesus that they were willing to give their lives in service, in service of God's kingdom, in service of God's dream for this world. And one of the things that I hope you noticed as we've heard these ten stories is that all of those people who did those remarkable things for Jesus, not a one of those people did what they did alone. In every one of those stories, there is a moment when somebody spoke up, when somebody reached out, when somebody connected that saint to God in a way that made all the difference. There was the Catholic boy whose parents took him to Mass in Poland every Sunday morning. There was the German pastor who found Jesus in a black Baptist church. There was the young man in Papua New Guinea who was taken in by missionaries when his father died. It was the young woman in South Africa who met a pastor who was willing to go to a place that other pastors had written off. Every single one of these persons was touched by a saint. Every single one of these people, none of these people were an island unto themselves. Every one of them was part of a great chain of believers going all the way back to Jesus in the time of the apostles. Every one of these people did what they did because they were surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The same thing is true of us today. We, you and I, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Every person whose story we have heard in the last 10 weeks is still with us, still part of God's family, still part of God's church. Every person whose name we read in worship a moment ago is still with us, still part of God's family, still part of God's church. And we here together have been given as a gift by God to one another so that nobody has to do this alone. The way of Jesus is a difficult way, but the good news of All Saints Sunday is that none of us, None of us has to do this alone. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. So let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, keeping always our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, Jesus, who reaches out and takes us by the hand. Let's pray, church. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the words of Martin, for the music of Mahalia, for the gospel that he preached and the gospel that she sang. We pray that that gospel would live in us. We pray that that gospel would shine through us, that there might be justice in this world that you love, that there might be peace and healing and reconciliation in this world that you love. 
that there might be resurrection in this world that you love. As we prepare to come to the table of Jesus, make us aware of the presence of the saints. Make us aware of that great cloud of witnesses. Help us to know that where we go, we don't go alone. We are in the company of Jesus and of all the saints. In his name we pray. Amen.